Do you want to invest in lifestyle investor deals, save more on taxes, find like-minded and highly successful people to spend time with and to learn from? Apply to join the world's most exclusive mastermind that turns everyday people into savvy investors. You'll get access to private deals that are not available to the public. These deals have been sourced by me personally and de-risked through preferred investment terms, giving you an unfair advantage that most people just don't get. To learn more and apply, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash mastermind. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now, I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Scott Ryan has founded, built, and sold several tech-based companies for over 25 years. He's an expert in forging partnerships and business strategies to accelerate growth in innovative and disruptive technologies. Now, a partner in Terra Rosa and a GP in the Lotus Fund, he works with these companies to put innovation back into the hands of lower middle market, later stage enterprise software companies. Scott has been massively successful from a young age. He earned a six-figure income in college teaching tennis. Shortly after graduating, he started his own business, and in 2016, he landed an eight-figure exit. What I love about Scott is that he recognizes that money and material possessions don't lead to happiness. Here's an example of someone who uses his wealth to build a fulfilling lifestyle for himself and those around him. In today's episode, we go over how surrounding himself with smarter people helps Scott succeed in business, his strategy for buying companies that generate wealth while shaving taxes, and why relationships are the key to a fulfilling life. One more thing before we get to today's interview. Scott has a special gift for Lifestyle Investor podcast listeners. As many of you know, I have a strong appreciation for wine. Scott does too. In fact, we've had many great bottles together. And knowing that a lot of people in our audience enjoy the process of tasting wine, Scott suggested that we give away a curated list of some of the best wines in the world. This is an excellent selection of wines that will help you elevate your palate and explore the world of wine with a whole new level of appreciation. To get access to this gift, visit justindonald.com forward slash 104. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Scott Ryan. What's up, Scott? So glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Justin. I really appreciate it. This is cool. We've been talking about this for a while and we almost 
did this recording when we were in Europe last. And in fact, we should probably talk about this epic trip. You and I have done some, our fair amount of traveling. We've done the the BVIs, which is cool. A little bit of Necker Island hanging out there, getting time with Richard Branson. And most recently, we went to Monaco for the F1 race, specifically in Monte Carlo, the capital, which is just an unbelievable city. So much cool stuff going on there. And the race was incredible, like three days of cool experiences, each one different. And if it could, you think about that and you think about how amazing that is in itself. And then on the back end of that, we did a week in Bordeaux. So, I mean, it was just a one-two punch. Uh, what, what were your thoughts? Like, I mean, was that pretty epic of a trip for you too? Yeah, it was. I, you know, and I think I think it's something that we planned for about six months. We had uh, Mario, who's a, a, a kind of a well-known sommelier, who put that trip together, and he really went first class. I mean, it was uh, it was it was one of the more experiential trips I've been on, and something that I, I went in knowing nothing. You know, I'm a I'm a I think in Days of Thunder they said I you know I've never raced a car, but I've watched it on TV. That's kind of where I was. I just seen Formula One on Netflix. I had no experience about Formula One. And, you know, going to form- going to Monaco for your first Formula One race, it's like going to Wimbledon for your first tennis match. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. And so uh, I, I was more, it, it blew away my expectations. And that's a big statement because my expectations were high. But, you know, we, we were staying at Le Meridian, as you know, all the, all the racers were staying there. LeBron James was walking around there. I mean, it was the great, it was the most surreal experience. And then the race itself was pretty amazing. The guy who was supposed to win in the lead, Paul LeClure, I think his name is, who was supposed to win the race. He, uh, his, his team brought him into the pits uh, when his other teammate was in the pit. So he ended up coming in fourth place, which just that mistake never happens. And he's a, he's a native of Monte Carlo. So it was a big upset, but really amazing, uh, amazing time. Um, and, you know, and it was, it was epic. And then we, we flew private to Bordeaux. I mean, it was just like, I don't know what, how it gets better than that. I mean, and I go forward. I might want to split those trips up because there was quite a bit of drinking over, a, uh, over an eight, eight or nine day period. And you felt <laughs> obligated in Bordeaux to, to, to keep going. So, uh, but what a great experience. Yeah. That was up there with my very best trips in my life. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I just thought it was really cool. Not only did I get a chance to meet Carlos Saints, who is, you know, one of of the great Ferrari racers. And by the way, if you haven't watched the Netflix episode, anyone listening or watching this, if you haven't watched the F1, the Formula One Netflix series, it's incredible. And that really kind of got me into stuff. And there's, I really believe that has been a single, one of the greatest single causes of the reemergence of Formula One. And I'm not a race car guy. The show is just awesome. So it was cool meeting him. You know, he was at the hotel. And then another cool thing is LeBron James coming through. And I remember we were trying to lure him over to hang out with us because we, you know, we love, we know he loves Bordeaux and we're like, LeBron, we've got some extra Bordeaux with your name written all over it. And it was pretty cool, you know, watching him kind of uh, head out. He w- he went right by us and and went to the dock because uh, we had one of the, the docks that people use to go out to the yachts. Uh, so that was a pretty neat experience too, wasn't it? No, it was amazing. I mean, it was uh, second to none. We really did it first class. You know, and what what also is cool about F1 is like we did these different locations, right? So like for the practice, we were at the Roscoe's turn, which was so cool. So you get to see the cars up close and but they slow down 
considerably on that turn and then they ramp up right after so you get to see them coming in fast slowing down and then speeding up again so it's probably i mean a lot of people say it's like where the best action is and then day two uh where we got to watch qualifiers we were on the yachts uh and so there's these huge yacht parties that and we're talking i'd never seen this i never even knew this was a thing i knew that there were hundred million dollar yachts, or in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in a yacht, right? We saw we saw billion dollar yachts. It's been confirmed. I read a, a magazine article after it and another thing, you know, several things that confirmed that there were several billion dollar <laughs> yachts. I mean, that Insane. is just absurd. Insane. And they're all there for that race. They really are. Yep. Yeah. It was really epic, yeah. And then for the actual race, we are right above the start line. Uh, I mean, you, you couldn't get better. Like our one, two, three punch was just epic. And, you know, I think anyone would be totally satisfied with a trip like that. But flying in, you know, the, the gorgeous plane that we took. What was that, a Falcon? Are we flying yeah, a Falcon over there? Yeah, it was like a, a Falcon 50, I think it was. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm not I'm not super up on planes. But the other thing I was just going to mention about the race, in that, that, that third day when we were in the... Uh, the terrace, what was it called? The, um, you know, the terrace, this like Siena terrace, whatever it was, Shanghai. Right. the Shanghai terrace, where we saw Michael Schumacher Jr. wreck and his That's car right. split apart in half right in front of us. It's unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible. That was an incredible experience. And so was Bordeaux. I mean, and, and you're a wine guy. Um, we were, I mean, we, we looked at it, we was all the first rows. It was Margot, uh, Lafitte, uh, Chateau Yacam. I mean, it was crazy. The way those guys live and the, the vinters, the lunches that we had, it was just, just really amazing. I felt like an aristocrat. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. I mean, we went to like the first gross. We went to Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, Chateau Mouton Rothschild. I mean, those two were just exquisite. And then to finish the trip at Chateau de Chem with their, you know, president, the guy who's running everything, who technically runs uh, Chateau Cheval Blanc, was so cool. And he's down to earth, interesting. He had just hung out with the Prince of Monaco, like right before us. And we got so much of his time. It was like a three, three and a half hour meal. Like, I mean, so we did a tasting. And then on top of that, we did the meal with pairings and he got into the library of like the old stuff, which was like, really like cool. Like an 83 Chateau Cam was crazy. Was so right. Really well, and their chef is a three Michelin star chef that cooks out of Chateau Yukem. And uh, it's just absolutely life-changing for anyone that is a wine lover and connoisseur like, you know, we are. And yeah. I know that that was high on your list because this is, I mean, we're talking about the wine that like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington drank. Like this, this was like, I mean, there's so much history. You're a history guy. Weren't you a history major? Like That's this right. Stuff, University of Texas, history yeah. major. There's so much history in, in these chateaux, like the, the greatest chateaus in the world or, or wineries, you know, in France, they call them chateaus and, and Chateau Yukem is like the, it, it's the only, you know, Grand Cru Superior. It's like the, 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 the first growth, it's like the high, it's the only chateau that has like its own level or category of ranking. Well, you know, Justin, I thought it was also amazing. We would look at, you know, each barrel has 300 bottles of wine. You run the numbers and you're like, this is one vintage, one year is $200 million. And it's really hard to process that. And these companies, have been, they've, been, they've been in business for, you know, 
two, three, four hundred years. I mean, it's really it's really hard to you know three hundred years, four hundred years. It's hard to really think about how long that's been going on, and they've been generating that kind of revenue for that much time. So yeah, it was really it was impressive. It was a history lesson for sure. Yeah, I mean, we were looking at some of the sellers, and by the way, some of their library of stuff is like they they have wine back in the eighteen hundreds, like in the in their library, which is so cool. But just when you look at the barrels and you see what's there, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of wine just sitting in these chateaus, and and then it's like you know, year after year after year after year, you know, you you create this reputation. And in France, it's different because Napoleon basically said, hey, these are the these are the most impressive, you know, first growths. They, you know, basically said these four are the originals. And then Chateau, Mouton, Rothschild kind of squeezed in there in the 70s. But so there are five that kind of, you know, they just are now forever going to be like the greatest wines. But what's cool is finding the wineries or the chateaus right next to them. So instead of them being like, a thousand to two thousand, in some cases five thousand dollars a bottle. You can get the chateau right next to it, where it's maybe a hundred, one hundred and fifty a bottle. We get those too. Remember at Lynch Bage, and we 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 got we drank some amazing wine. That was a great experience, you know. Yeah, chateau. I don't know if I would do it on the heels of Monte Carlo, where we were drinking champagne all day every day. <laughs> but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, Chateau Pichon Contest, which is right next to Chateau Latour, and then Chateau Gis Gour, I thought was incredible out there in Margot. So just epic. For any of you wine lovers, uh, get to Bordeaux. Just an epic trip. So uh, l- let's let's get to talking a little bit more about you, Scott. You've had a lot of success. Uh, you've worked in a lot of different places. You've got a lot of expertise I'd love to kind of hear your story, like how you got to where you are today. You know, obviously you, you went to school at university of Texas. Uh, I definitely want to dig into why you chose to move to Puerto Rico, but let's hold on on that. Let's hear your story and then dig into, you know, some of the specifics there. And so, uh, yeah, so real fast, I was a history major at UT, you know, that prepares you for virtually nothing. I had a minor in economics and Spanish, you know, I moved right into sales, but I've always I've considered myself sort of a lifetime learner um, and, and, and try to identify problems to solve because that's where I think you can make the most, uh, add the most value. And so in, even in, uh, in high school, I spent um, two years in tennis school, a place called Nick Voluntary Tennis Academy. So um, I was kind of an entrepreneur at a young age. Um, I remember my brother, Chris, calling me saying, hey, you know, I was playing with Agassi and Jim Courier and all these guys. He's like, are you going to be a professional tennis player? I was like, absolutely not. But I think we can make a bunch of money teaching tennis. So when we got to um, both Chris and I went, he's, he's uh, two years older than me. We went to the University of Texas and we taught to IBM, Lockheed Martin, you know, um, Motorola. And, you know, we got we made a between the two of us six figures over a summer, real money in like 1987 dollars. Right. So we were able to uh, pay for school that way. And, and that was a lot more rewarding than if we had been on the tennis team. So that's kind of where I started my, you know. I, at Volatari's, I figured out there's a way to teach 10 people on a tennis court and generate real income. Uh, and I kind of followed that my whole career. When I when it was in college, I moved to Spain and I, I, I studied uh, at the University of Salamanca. And then I moved to Barcelona and got a job there. I stayed there for a year and a half, generated income and just put myself in just like Volatari's very uncomfortable situations and pushing to try to do better a little bit each day. And then also I met amazing people at Voluntaries and in Spain who became mentors of mine because I had to seek out my own mentors. And, you know, as you know, we've spent 
we've basically vacationed on Necker Island before, you know, I consider Branson a mentor of mine. I raised some money for Virgin Unite. I've been blessed to go there seven, eight times. I've been to Eula Saba, his place in South Africa. And so um, just really have been able to meet some incredible people. And as you know, it's not just meeting Richard, uh, Sir Richard, it's meeting all the people on the island that become you know, confidants and, and comrades and, and mentors, right? Because they're all, most of them are more successful and experienced than I am. But, you know, when I graduated UT, I became a tech guy by trade. My first company, uh, basically, I worked at was my brother's company. And, and I, I went out and started my own thing. I've had three exits, or I guess four, three of them good. <laughs> and uh, and uh, my, my, my third one was my biggest one. And uh, it was an eight-figure exit in June of 2016. And then I started investing. And I was, I'm about halfway through your lifestyle investor, maybe a little more than halfway. And I was that guy. I was the 60, 40 split guy, you know, load up my 401k, just go, go, go. And very little experience in investing, especially in private equity, which was troublesome because when I, when I sold my third company, I had some money and uh, I started investing with, uh, you know, some of the guys in Tiger 21. My brother was heading up some of the groups. That's how you and I met. And, uh, and you know, I, I didn't do very well. I bet big on smaller deals. You know, I didn't have a strategy. I, you know, I would do a cash flow monthly cash flow deal, but I was mostly doing equity, kind of playing the long ball, and I wasn't negotiating any kind of bonuses or sidecar deals like you talk about, or using investment monies from insurance or other investments to pay for investments. I just wasn't doing that. I was, I was making bets, and like you talk about, lending people money at zero percent interest, and on a hope and a prayer that I'll get something back in five years. So I made a bunch of mistakes, and uh, and I decided to go get my securities licenses. So I went and, and, and studied for that. And I have no math skills. So that was real work for me. So I ended up passing, thank God, about three of them that I needed to raise capital in the private equity space. And that's kind of what I started doing, really more looking for deals. But when I would uncover a deal, I would bring other people to the table. So I created kind of a placement agency. And you know, one of the deals I bet big on, I lost a couple million bucks, actually, uh, in, a, uh, in an income deal. So again, I, I learned that, you know, number one, I need a strategy. And what I also learned by dealing with a, a, a number of ultra high net worth people, I found out a lot of family offices and ultra high net worth folks had access to deals that I didn't have access to, right? So they had, they had access to certain asset classes that I didn't have access to, you know, the minimums might've been too high or whatever the case is, but they also had access to folks in the know that could identify good management teams. So I started really sort of investing with some of those folks that I considered quite a bit smarter than me. And that's really what led me to, to where I am today. I met a guy named Christian Mack, who's my business partner now. But uh, when I met him, you know, he had kind of an institutional grade fund, million dollar minimum. They had done really well, fund one and fund two. We can talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, I met him and, and it started to check all the boxes. I'm a tech guy by trade. He's got a tech fund. It's not VC, so it's it's they're they're going you know it's later stage, so it's a growth fund, but it's it's smaller than traditional private equity, so it's these hip pocket deals that family offices by and large get to see. And I saw that deal, and I was like, I think I can raise money for you. So we we started our journey. Uh, we met in a mastermind similar to the one you run, a different mastermind. We met in one, and uh, and we started talking, and you know they had raised about twenty million from their GP which is a big investment on a $150 million fund. They had gotten $12 million from fund uh, two to roll over. And they were trying to raise money. They had just exited fund two in December of 2020, had like a 2.5 exit, about a 36.5 net return. And I wanted to invest in fund three. And that's how him and I started 
working together. That's cool. What what an awesome story. And by the way, uh, for anyone watching and listening to this, I have done an interview with uh, Scott's partner, Christian Max. So check that one out. And then I've also done an interview with Scott's brother, Chris Ryan. Uh-oh. So check that episode out as well. So really cool, really fun. So you had mentioned family office. And I like anytime someone mentions a family office, I feel like it's really good to kind of define what that is. Everyone kind of defines it a little differently, but it's it's all generally the same idea. But how would you define a family office for those listening? They're like, what what does that mean? Yeah. So a family office is when you get to a certain amount of wealth. I mean, I look at it as a math problem, right? So if you, let's say you're paying a a registered investment advisor, an RIA, um, let's say you give them 10 million bucks and and they're going to manage your money. They're going to charge you 1%. So you're going to pay them about a hundred grand. So let's say you get up to a hundred million. Now you're paying them a million bucks a year. And so at a million dollars, you start looking at maybe it's time for me to look at a family office. Now, a family office, you're going to have a couple of analysts. You know, you may you may have you may have four or five employees that are doing deal origination, underwriting, different analysis, but it's going to probably cost you close to one and a half, maybe two million dollars. So I think right when you hit about 150 to 200 million, when you've got that much money to manage, that's when people typically go into the family office space. You know, and all an RIA is is a family, a multifamily office. It's a family office um, with multiple clients. So if that's when you're going to dedicate a team just to you when you're about 200, 250 million. Some people do it at a lot higher number. Some people do it at a smaller number. It just really depends on what you're comfortable with. But that's when the economics seem to work out. But family offices, Christian, my business partner, has his own family office. He had a big exit, as you know, a nine-figure exit in 2012, launched his family office in 2014. And he's buddies with 90 other family offices. He created a portal. So they also do, they share deal flow and he was the tech guy. So consequently, that's when he finally was like, I might as well just start a fund and have these guys invest in the fund because they're running all their tech deals by me. So that's the premise, but that's really what a family office is. And normally that's, it's an ultra high net worth person at like 250 million or above. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a special offer that I created for the lifestyle investor community. When I look back at my investing journey, there's one specific investment in particular that was the spark to increasing my net worth and allowing me to leave my job to become a lifestyle investor. I'm talking about mobile home parks. Yes, mobile home parks. If you just cringed a little, that's exactly why these provide such a great opportunity because of the negative stigma and stereotype people might have. In reality, this is an incredible investment that you can get into with little or no money down. You can also quickly get a return on your capital. You can immediately cash flow on day one. You can hold it forever as a cash cow. You get accelerated depreciation to reduce or eliminate the taxes that you would owe. And often the seller will finance the deal so you don't need a bank. You can also buy them at the highest cap rate of all real estate meaning it's the cheapest real estate to buy based on the income that it generates. And it's the lowest default rate of all real estate, meaning it's the safest asset class to own in real estate. I use this asset class to start my journey in real estate investing and grow my net worth to over eight figures all before I turned 40. And out of all the questions that people ask me, how do I get into mobile home parks is still the number one question that I get which is why I put together this mobile home park masterclass. This is a paid class that I'm offering for a limited time only. 
For all the details, head over to justindonald.com forward slash MHP and watch the video, which outlines all the details about the class and exactly what you get when you sign up. You'll also hear the incredible success stories from students who have gone through my content and are now making hundreds of thousands of dollars in passive income. If you want to take the same first step that I did that helped me take both my wife and I from working full-time jobs to becoming lifestyle investors, join me in my mobile home park masterclass and let's get started on your journey to becoming a lifestyle investor. Visit justindonald.com forward slash MHP for all the details. Yeah. And so you kind of have these different tiers, right? So you've got the, at the highest level, it's a single family office. It's your own. They just manage your money. It's your employees. And that's their job. Every day they show up and they manage your money. And then you talked about a multifamily office. You talked about, you know, an RIA is an example of that. There are other organizations, there are other family offices that are dedicated to several members, several clients. Uh, so it's a multifamily office. So instead of you footing the bill at a million to two million bucks, you're splitting it with five, six, seven families, right? Making it a lot more affordable. So maybe you're able to get into it for like 300,000 a year, something like that. And then there are some groups that kind of do fractional family office type of things where you're paying considerably less but they're not, it's not a full blown shop like what a lot, you know, when you hear a family office and you think of all the services that they provide. And basically, a family office generally is just going to provide everything that you need from an investment standpoint. Sometimes they're going to have CPAs in house, sometimes they're going to have people that can basically run anything that you need to run. They might have legal in house. Some people want to have all that under one roof versus kind of outsourcing and having a bunch of different vendors or, or, points of contact. And then also, if you do have all those points of contact, there are people, you know, a lot of the the better family offices will quarterback that. So they will be in contact with the attorney, with the CPA, with, you know, any other attorneys that, that may be involved. It's not unusual for family offices to engage multiple wealth managers and multiple different groups, right? I mean, that's not unusual at all. So it's, uh, it's, it's really what works best for you. But typically, that family office comes in at about you know, 100 million to a quarter billion. If you're going to do a single family office, that's when it starts to make some good business sense. Yep. Very cool. So let's talk about some of the other uh, strategies you have on tax saving, because I know you moved to Puerto Rico for a reason prior to Puerto. So at one point you were living in, in Texas, right? You were going to the University of Texas in Austin here, where I live. And then I launched, I launched my companies in Dallas. So I have my exits in Dallas. I still have property there. I moved to Puerto Rico. So, you know, when I when I hooked up with the Lotus guys, Lotus, we're in fund three, as I said, you know, they do some interesting tax strategies. We have an 8% pref that's a corporate dividend. So it's long-term capital gains. Turns out in Puerto Rico, if you're here for 183 days a year, you pay zero capital gains. I generate quite a bit of my income by um, with, with discretionary bonuses by hitting targets and milestones and whatnot. So, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an earner in that regard. Well, in Puerto Rico, you spend 183 days a year, you pay 4% income tax. 
So it's really strong. I mean, the only thing I know better than that, you know, you can go to like to the Caymans and places like that, pay 0% or Singapore, you know, or whatnot, but then you have to denounce your U.S. citizenship. And I wasn't ready. I, I wasn't interested in doing that. This is really the best deal where you're still in America. Um, you know, I'm on the Eastern time zone, which is fantastic. Our headquarters, we've moved from Newport Beach to Austin, Texas. Um, and one of the things we do when we buy companies, we buy under what's called a QSBS model. So we buy under what's called qualified small business stock. It's a structure where if you buy companies less than 50 million in revenue, we're normally buying five to 10 million. You buy less than 50 million, you hold for five years. There's no long-term capital gains. So some great tax strategies around what we do at Lotus, but you know, the 4% income for me is the real winner. And that's great. And the other thing I'll share with you, a lot of people don't know this is if you start, you know, University of Puerto Rico, super strong school from a, a financial analyst perspective, from a software development perspective. So there are plans for us to, to build a Puerto Rico office here. And what happens is the government will subsidize employees income by, by 30%. So they'll give a 30% rebate. And the Puerto Ricans, the natives that stay here and work for an American company, they also pay 4% income tax. So they get the benefit of our tax. So we can get a fantastic supplemented office here in Puerto Rico that can benefit Lotus. Yeah, that's cool. And I heard you say that uh, you're moving your headquarters to Austin, which I'm thrilled about. In fact, you're looking at uh, buying a place in Austin. And I just had the you know opportunity to meet the developer and take a look, walk the property on your behalf, take some pictures, some videos, make sure that it checks out, uh, you know, that they're not trying to overcharge and it's in a brand new building. I mean, literally it's in downtown and it's one of the coolest locations. They just completed it. So like literally as we're speaking, a hundred percent of the units have been sold and and the first move-ins are moving in like right now as we're talking and what a, what a cool spot, you know, I'm excited to have you as a neighbor uh, because this is literally four minutes from my house. Yeah. And you know, this was a strategic move for us. I mean, obviously you were the number one reason we were coming there, Justin, but uh, from a Lotus perspective, you know, there's a group called the Capital Factory that I know you're very aware of down there. And uh, we have a business advisory services group that supports Lotus called Trellis. We just hired a guy named Brett Paulson and, and you'll hear that on the, on the podcast, but Brett's one of the major, the big mentors at Capital Factory. Capital Factory is invested in, you know, five to 600 businesses. They're an incubator that becomes a, um, a channel for us for deal origination and acquisitions. So that's really key. And, you know, we're within walking distance to the Capital Factory and we've signed a lease uh, where we've got office space there. So we're super excited about that. And I got to say, I've raised a lot of money out of Austin, Texas. And I think the reason is, is there's a really strong financial services um, background in that town. People understand that space. They understand tech. They understand software as a service. It's a really unique model. And the Capital Factory fits our mold because those deals are hip pocket deals. So these are deals that haven't been picked over by the West Coast and the East Coast. So they're, they're right in our wheelhouse and we can get a really good value from an acquisition perspective. So we're super excited about it. And, uh, and the apartment's cool too. Oh, I love it. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. 
Uh, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of uh, parties and uh, hangouts to be had. I know that I was talking with uh, Mario Matavesco, uh, the the you know the the sommelier of Terra Rosa, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's who's already doing some fun wine events here, uh, which is great. Uh, I got a chance to participate in a couple of his wine events here. And for those of you that are uh, you know listening, that are like, hey, I'd I'd love to learn more about that. Uh, for our lifestyle investor mastermind, we're figuring out a time and a space to be able to do something like this. And for some of my friends just here locally in Austin, uh, where we're going to do just literally an epic wine tasting with wine that's off the charts, that's hard to get. I mean, in some cases, virtually impossible to get, you know, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And I know you're going to be involved in uh, many of these things. So uh, cool. So, so moving, you know, forward, you know, I think there are some like, mantras that you live life by, some words of wisdom that you've picked up and maybe just um, a cadence that uh, you walk through life with. I'd love to hear kind of your your backdrop and your thoughts on, you know, just health, wealth, relationships, the most important things that for you make your world go round. Yeah, well, you know, I think one of the things I've struggled with in, in, in life is the life work balance. And that's something that I, with this opportunity with Lotus, I was 85% travel before I moved to Puerto Rico. So I've been to the Middle East four times. I was in uh, Bahrain, in Saudi, I was in Jeddah, uh, Riyadh, Daman, uh, in the UAE, I was in Abu Dhabi, in Dubai, just got back from Muscat, Oman. Uh, you know, it, so that's really, those are taxing trips, right? Because, you know, you're talking about 15 hours. Um, I was, I was flying from Dallas direct, you know, on, uh, on Emirates, it's, it's a 15 hour ride and it, you really, it takes you a couple of days to, to sort of acclimate. So I try to move every day. If it's in a hotel gym, that's okay. If it's a, it's, if it's a heavy walk in the morning or something like that, but I try to move every day and that's been important. It's really hard to focus on nutrition when you're traveling. So that's just something that, you, you know, that box doesn't get checked very well. Uh, Cause you, you know, you're, you're eating local fare or whatever the case is and you're entertaining. So that's challenging, but I think I'm doing okay in the, in the health space. I invest a lot of money in, in, in the wealth space. And when I say wealth, I'm talking about wealth of knowledge, wealth of experiences, you know, in addition to those, those trips that, that I went on, you know, we, we, like with my brother, Chris, we climbed Kilimanjaro when I was in my thirties and every, every decade I try to do something really uncomfortable and a little bit epic to sort of push my comfort zone. And I think it, it really helps because the people you meet on those trips can change your life. I mean, from a knowledge perspective, I'm sort of a voracious reader, or I should say audible guy, because I try to consolidate my exercise. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of Lifestyle Investor right now. I'm also, I think I recommended to you Gap and Gain by Dan Sullivan, which I love. You know, I'm a history Great book. It's a great book. I'm a history major. And so I, you know, I love David McCullough stuff like 1776, John Adams, Brooklyn Bridge, you know, those are great. Um, and then, but I'll also mix it up. Like I, I, I like Scott Galloway, right? I like the algebra happiness. I did post Corona. I've got a drift in my library right now, which is latest, which I think should be strong. You know, there's one I recommend history of sketch comedy with, uh, with Keegan, Michael key, which is a cool one. If I'm looking for something light, you know, I'll listen to that. Um, but I also like, I don't know if you know, Peter Zeehan, the futurist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the end of the world is just the beginning. You know, he's got a really interesting, it's about a 30 minute podcast on the next five years. I don't know if you've seen that, but I have. It's very contrarian. And he's sort of this, you know, Socratic thinker on how he throws down 
what I think is the opposite of what a lot of people are talking about, but it's spot on. So, you know, I really like, I like that as a history major, I think history to me is the psychology and philosophy of how people are going to behave in the future, right? Typically that's it. I think like we talked about, that's wealth to me. And I think money is a byproduct of, of working hard and getting in front of the right people and, and, and always trying to better yourself. Um, and after wealth and health, I think relationships is, is probably the most important thing. And by the way, you know, if you don't fill the health bucket, you'll blow up your wealth and in your relationships because you won't be able to participate. And so, you know, I think relationships, although it comes last on my, my list of, of stuff, it's equally as, equally as important, um, you know, just sort of from that tripod. And for me, relationships, my brother and I talk about this thing called the last chat. And you can look at the last chat as, you know, what's the last conversation you're having with your best buddy on your deathbed? Or what's the conversation that your two closest friends have after you pass? And that's, you know, you want to check the box, you know, was I a good person, right? Deep down when no one's looking, am I, was I a good person? You know, have I, did I have good relationships, really strong relationships with people? And, and you know, what, what did I love and was I loved by others? And I think, you know, if you can check those three boxes, I think that's really where you, you, you've made it and, and you've made a difference on the planet. These are, you know, those are kind of lofty goals and what have you, but they're top of mind for me from a mantra perspective, right? So when I'm making decisions, am I hanging out with the right people? Are these good people for me to be spending time with? And what am I going to benefit them? Or are they going to benefit me? And so that's, those are things that are really important to me from, uh, from that perspective. Well, I love it. And I talk about this a lot in my book, where I think some of the keys to being a lifestyle investor are having that health bucket where you have strong health. And this is physical and mental health and spiritual health, right? I mean, I think those three are so important. And you talked about wealth, not just being about money, because the vast majority of wealth isn't about money, even though societally it is. But to figure out that component where you're accomplishing financial freedom, that is a big thing. I don't think net worth matters anywhere close to having the ability, like all day, every day, I would take a teeny tiny net worth, but having the cash flow to cover my life rather than what most people have is they have maybe a bigger net worth that they've been focusing on, but it's illiquid. You know, it's this whole idea that, you know, you hear people kind of talking about how you're asset rich, but cash poor. And I think most people live in this space where they don't get utility from their investments. They might sound like they have a high net worth, but if you can't do the things that you want to do. If you haven't bought your time back and you don't own true freedom and autonomy and agency in your life, it doesn't matter to me how much someone's net worth is. I know people with huge net worths that are a slave to their business or a slave to the material possessions that they bought or the mortgage payments on the 10 homes that they own, right? But I would much rather have a more simplified life where I don't have to worry about money. Money just shows up, shows up every month and whatever the expenses are, they get covered. And if I want to do something different or buy something new, I buy an asset that can produce that income. If I want to go take a cool trip, I want to be able to do it with passive income. I want to know that that was like a one month distribution to go do that, but I still have the asset that's going to produce next month. And if I'm going to make a risky investment, where I'm hopeful that there's this outsized return, even though the risk is really high. It's the whole 0% interest loan for an undetermined period of time and a high risk asset that usually goes to zero, but you don't know that for 20 years. 
I would rather do that from the bucket that has cash flow coming that's all surplus above and beyond what it costs me to live. Yeah, no, I love that. In your book, you have, I think it's like, I think it's a like lifestyle and then, you know, it's like expenses, lifestyle, and then live your dream, right? Your, your, and that's your, your dream is your, your, your trip to, um, to uh, Bordeaux and, and Monte Carlo, right? That comes out of the, the cash flow bucket, which is good. So, that's right. Yeah. I mean, that trip's not, I mean, it, it was an expensive trip because it was an epic experience. And I think most people would have balked at the price of it. But that was just one of my monthly distributions. So I don't feel bad spending the money going on that trip because I have an asset that's going to produce that same amount of income next month too. And for me, I'm at a point in my life, Scott, where I care so much more about experiences than anything else, way more than material possessions. I want to go experience the world. I want to do so with my friends, with people that I love, with my family, uh, with those closest to me. And I want to be in control of my time. So experiences are what people remember. They don't remember material possessions nine times out of 10, but they'll remember that one time you went to some epic trip or had an epic meal and had this great conversation. And that's what I want. I want people in my circle to have great memories of experiences that they would never have on their own. Yeah. And I would also, I would add to that, you know, they're not mutually exclusive, meaning that trip alone, you know, two of the, two of the folks on that trip are potential operating partners for us. There's uh, one guy on the trip, we're looking at buying his company. So like, you know, you, you, you spend, you know, 10, 12 days with some really successful affluent people under common interest and, and really amazing experiences, everybody breaks down barriers and you get to know people and, and, and there, there presents opportunities through that, that experience. So I think that's a really cool way to not only have an amazing epic time with somebody, but a lot of times it evolves into business. Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, I would love to know where we can find out more about you, uh, learn more about Lotus Domain and uh, just get a chance for people to you know, if they want to connect, to be able to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we, uh, what I'll do is I'll send you my contact information at the end of this podcast. You can throw it up and do your graphics magic that you do. And uh, we can go from there, Justin. That sounds awesome. Well, very cool. Any last thoughts, any last comments, words of wisdom? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that, uh, that my brother and I live by is, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. And so, you know, getting up, Showing, I think Woody Allen said 70% of success is just showing up. I think it's 100% of success is getting up, getting ready, getting dressed, you know, make your bed, all the stuff that your dad told you. Uh, we do it all and we show up every day, give 110%. And, uh, you know, I think also to focus on that work life balance. That's something that I've incorporated now that I've moved to Puerto Rico. The joke at Lotus was, if, you know, you don't come in on Saturday, don't bother coming in on Sunday. And I think uh, we've built a great team and we have some really good players that, that are mentioned in our podcast. So now we've spread that work and, and we're scalable enough to execute the right way. Because at the end of the day, no one on their tombstone says, I, you know, I wish I'd worked another day or made X number of dollars more. So I think that work-life balance between health, wealth, and relationships is key. And that's what my focus is. And, uh, and you've helped me do that as well with your book, my friend. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate your time. This has been awesome. And if you are interested in learning more about investments like this and learning from people like Scott and many others that I've interviewed, apply to join the world's most exclusive mastermind, the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind, uh, which is designed for helping people become savvy investors and to regain control of their time, to buy their time back and to build their wealth, build their cash flow, build their passive income with deals that the public's never going to have access to, with terms that are preferred, with deals that are de-risked, with extra perks built in. So if interested, check out lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash mastermind. And I want to close this session this week like I do every week, and that's with this question. What's one step that you can take today to move towards financial freedom and living a life that's really on your terms, one that you truly desire, a life not by default or autopilot, but rather a life by design, your design. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who could benefit from this episode, would you share it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned, visit www.justindonald.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor.